Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. So what are specific techniques to get more rational? Let's talk to Steven Pinker about it. But also, stay tuned for in a couple of days, I'm also going to release an episode where I test specifically Jay and my wife, Robin, to see how rational they are. And so that's coming out in a couple of days, but part two is already out today. Knock yourself out. What about something where the metrics are a little harder, like pro-life versus pro-choice? I don't know what you are, but how would you argue the other side against yourself to convince yourself that you were wrong. If you were to argue against yourself, what would the argument be? Yeah, well, I am, I am a pro-choice, but on the other hand, I do, I think, I would say, you know, unlike most of my, you know, pals, peers, members of my, my clique, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor, I live in the, the People's Republic of Cambridge, uh, although now I'm in, I'm, I'm on sabbatical in the People's Republic of Berkeley, which is even uh, probably even farther to the left. Uh, 
but I do recognize that the arguments that there there are arguments that uh, against abortion that we have to take seriously, such as that. Well, gee, if it's okay, if it's the first three months, why isn't it okay after the first six months or eight months or nine months? What is it? Why uh, isn't it okay for a uh, a woman to abort a child the day before she gives birth? Uh, and if it is, then why is it not okay the day after she gives birth? Why do we call that infanticide? Uh, it's not so easy to come up with a principled reason, and uh, that, that, that's why I would not kind of blow off the uh, anti-abortion uh, activists by saying, well, they, they just want to put women back into the, the, the Middle Ages, they want to restrict their, their reproductive freedom. I mean, it's, you know, some of them probably do. But it's not a trivial issue to say, where is the dividing line? And the reason is, there is no dividing line. Uh, and the the argument that I would ultimately make is, since biology doesn't give us a dividing line, the law has to, in the same way we have to, there's no day in, in which uh, someone transitions from a child to an adult, the law has to be drawn somewhere. And so we say, uh, you know, 18, year old, 18 years old for, for voting and 21 years old for drinking and 16 years old for driving. Uh, and we do our best to draw a line in this fuzzy continuum in the case of uh, age. And likewise, when it comes to being a human, it's, there's, there are fuzzy lines. There's no, the, uh, a fertilized egg doesn't satisfy anyone's idea of a uh, full human. And the question, when does life begin, is an impossible question, I would say. It's asking biology to provide something that it can't provide. Therefore, we humans have to figure out what, what's a line that's going to stand that doesn't, uh, isn't a slippery slope on the way to infanticide. Uh, how do we know it's not a slippery slope or whether it is or isn't? Well, let's just look at history. We've had Roe v. Wade for, for 40 years. Has that led to the deadline for abortion creeping later and later so that uh, now there's a lobby for infanticide? Well, no, that has to happen. As it turns out, that the age of, of uh, viability seems to be reasonably firm, and that's an argument for, for uh, keeping it there. And, and so, so, okay, that was a very good, you know, uh, presentation of that. So... Given that, and given the fuzziness of so many different issues, why do you find that people irrationally hate each other if they don't agree with each other? In many yes, cases, right. not in all cases. Like, I have friends on both sides of every issue, I think. And, but so many people, it seems, just hate people who don't agree with the same 50 items that they agree with. No, it's, and that, that really is one of the biggest impediments to rationality. It turns out if you ask, you try to find out why do people believe, you know, crazy things like that, uh, that, that that vaccines are dangerous or that um, uh, the climate change is a hoax. It has nothing to do with scientific literacy. It is uh, political tribalism. It's I'm going to believe the people, the things that are identity badges in my political coalition, and I'm going to not believe the ones that the uh, the other side don't believe in. And we, so we use the beliefs as uh, signs of, of uh, loyalty. There is you know, kind of a tendency in all of us to, um, to sort into sects or tribes or clans or coalitions and to assume that there is natural, there's competition between them. So what's good for mine is bad, bad for the other. Probably rooted in, in uh, primitive uh, intervillage warfare when we were before we had the state and courts and, and police. Um, you think the worst of people who aren't in your social circle. We have managed with the, the, the progress of civilization to have bigger and bigger 
communities so that we, you know, people in Massachusetts don't go to war with the people in Connecticut. Although that would be fun. That was in the news every day, like a uh, battle of Concord, <laughs> Connecticut <laughs> wins. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it, 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 the fact that we can have, you know, huge groups like that, like the United States of America, uh, uh, and ultimately the, the, the globe, we do have the United Nations, we do have, you know, we are the world, we, people can slip into or out, out of uh, a kind of global human-wide uh, solidarity. And clearly what we ought to do is promote the, the, the species as our ultimate tribe. Now, that, that's not easy. People slide back into their, their, their country, their school, their uh, family, uh, and it's okay to switch back and forth, but when it comes to rights, when it comes to violence, when it comes to uh, treatment, then we really want to expand our moral circle, our moral tribe, so that it encompasses all of humanity. Right. So, so, so on the one hand, active open-mindedness feels like a very much uh, internal effort. Okay, I'm going to recognize when I'm not being open-minded. Uh, perhaps I'm feeling anger or resentment to somebody who is believes something. So maybe, I, maybe that's triggering me that I am not as open-minded as I think I am. But it seems like also there's, there's external factors as well, as you mentioned, like what sex am I? What political group am I in? What location am, am I in? What kind of level of education do I have? Like, how do we, that's a lot of different biases. The list goes on of different groups and subgroups groups that we're in. So that's a lot of different potential ways to affect our thinking. How can we kind of step out of all that tribalism at the micro and macro level, given that we're tribal animals? Yes, well, uh, like all of our instincts, they coexist with each other and with a uh, you know, frontal lobes system too, as Kahneman calls it, um, re reflective reasoning. So we can um, try to push back on some of our deplorable instincts if we recognize that they're not good things to indulge. That's part of the answer. The other part of the answer is that uh, none of us is virtuous enough to do that just by sheer uh, goodness or, or, or willpower. We've got to set up institutions uh, like democracy, like science, like, uh, like, like journalism, like uh, uh, where, where uh, the rules are that you don't get ahead by indulging in uh, tribalism, in uh, magical thinking, in wishful thinking, in uh, arguing from authority. The rules are that you gain points, you, 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 you get your way if you've presented persuasive arguments. Now, it's, uh, and, and the, the, the reason that that's not a pipe dream is, yeah, I want to win arguments, but at the same time, I don't want you to win arguments. I don't want some you know, other guy to win arguments if he's wrong, if you then say, well, we, we, all of us together want to win arguments, so who wins? And we say, okay, well, it, you know, if I say it's gonna, always going to be me, well, I'm not going to get you to agree to that. Uh, what will we all agree to? Well, we can all agree, whoever has the best argument, whoever's got the evidence, that guy wins, or, or, or gal. Uh, and we can therefore set up debating rules, or deliberation rules, voting rules, uh, publication rules that are more virtuous than any of us could be if we were acting alone. And we all join the club that follows those rules because that's kind of our only choice. And you know, unless we're so you know, dominant, powerful, macho that you can just impose your way by force. If you want to join a community, you got to follow its rules and you got to set up the rules 
so that the winner of the argument is the one with the best argument. And so you've you've worked in academic institutions, most notably your your professor at Harvard. There's lots of instances. I don't know if this has happened at Harvard where, if if you if someone says something, and and you've been through this a little bit in in different groups you've been in, but if you say something or write something twenty years ago or ten years ago, and some group some people don't like what you wrote. It's a, it's almost a new thing now where people are getting fired yeah, over uh, off, offense archaeology. You, you, yeah. you, you dig down for something that offends you, and uh, yeah, that's a really into, I've never heard that phrase. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, offense archaeology and 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 cancel culture. Yeah, these are exact. Well, th these are, are are precisely the opposite of the uh, of, of rules of the game that that of uh, foster truth and accuracy. They're ways of punishing unpopular beliefs, of intimidating people who might disagree with the, the, the current consensus. And so that would be, these are all steps in the wrong direction and ought to be you know, called out and opposed. Yeah, so, so what, is there a line there? Like for instance, let's say I'm a professor of English and I firmly believe, and I write scholarly articles, and I, I firmly believe that the, that the world is flat. Uh, at what point should I be fired? <laughs> Well, you should probably not have gotten the job in the first place just because you're, uh, given that the world isn't flat, and that's something we can say with a pretty good, <laughs> strong degree of confidence, it's very unlikely that you would have mustered a good argument that the world is flat. So it's not, about, some things are within the realm of reasonable disagreement in the sense that the evidence is ambiguous enough that intelligent people can uh, uh, offer competing arguments. In the 21st century, the argument that the world is flat is going to uh, really not going to pass muster. All right, so, let's take something a little fuzzier. Like, let's say uh, I argue that uh, a baby, it's okay to uh, have an abortion an hour before birth is scheduled. And a lot of people are offended by I'm an English professor. I have no expertise in this. And a lot of people are offended and are calling for me to be fired. Certainly there are much smaller offenses that people have been fired for. So I'm just curious, like, where the line in this has been perhaps, you know, people have stepped, you know, institutions have stepped over the line in this where people where academics who are encouraged to be, you know, skeptics or at least free thinkers, uh, are, are being squashed a little bit and it happens in academia, but it happens in every industry now. Yeah, no, it's, it's a genuine problem. And if it is not, uh, resolved, then it's a, a recipe for error. We're going to believe a lot of false things if people are not allowed to uh, disagree without losing the fear of losing their job. Uh, so the uh, at the same time you have to make because sometimes the minority is, is sometimes the majority is wrong. Yeah, sometimes the majority is wrong. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the time because that's how how knowledge grows. Uh, not everything that we believe is right, and almost by definition, if we learn something, it's because someone points something out that uh, that disagrees with the current consensus. That's why you need freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of inquiry. Uh, otherwise, we are going to be locked into mistakes, and we're in danger of that if we have a regime where if you disagree with the majority, you get uh, punished. That having been said, you do have to make uh, distinctions on the basis of, of quality, such as we don't have to give tenure to the professor of geophysics who argues for a, for a flat earth. Um, almost certainly, I don't know, maybe we're all wrong, maybe the earth is flat, probably not. Uh, and, and you can't spend all of your time debating every hypothesis, no matter how, how crazy, you've got to have the goods 
ha have an argument, and it's perfectly legitimate not to hire a, a flat earth geologist, especially if the only thing that he has going for him is uh, scripture or totally bogus arguments, like that the, uh, the window of the airplane distorts the, the, the view and makes it, makes it look like the, the, the earth is curved. Uh, you can show that that's just wrong. Um, and so, and granted, there are gray areas. Sometimes you, and, and in, the problem is that a lot, uh, in a lot of cases, people do dismiss arguments by saying that they don't stand up to intellectual quality, whereas in reality, they just don't like the conclusion. So you've got to expose that and say, well, hey, that's, uh, there actually is nothing wrong with this argument other than the fact that you don't like the conclusion, so you shouldn't use that to, um, uh, to, to, to suppress this guy. Uh, but the, the, the idea of the aspiration is you allow in arguments that have been defended according to the, 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 the rules that promote truth, such as fact-checking, such as um, surviving peer review, such as uh, submitting themselves to empirical tests that turn out the right way, such as consistency with what data that, that we have, realizing that uh, nothing is ever a guarantee because none of us are angels. We, we might get locked into wrong beliefs, but to try to set up the rules of uh, arguing and hiring and promoting so that we don't get locked into false beliefs, so that if something that we believe is wrong, there will be a way for someone to show it. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, Good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the, the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, if you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And, you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important. And I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. 
You can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. I don't know if you made the connection directly in the book, but it's implied. Rationality is very much linked to creativity. Because if you're truly rational, you're aware of things like cognitive biases and of probability and so on. So you're aware that, like you just said, sometimes you might be wrong or that we don't know everything. So when, as an example, when Picasso comes out with cubism, he's basically saying, and other people are saying, that's not art, it's not a picture of anything. He's basically saying that, well, you can represent things in other ways than purely realistic. This is another way of representing things. And so he, he stays within the current framework but expands the def definition of it so that it, his paintings are still rational within that framework. And it seems like that's underlies rationality that you, you, you pick a framework, but you're able, it's a, it's a broad enough one that you're able to tweak it and, ex and expand the definition of it in ways that are acceptable so that you could then be come up with something new so that, like you say, the majority is not always right. In fact, it's often wrong. And the minority can have a voice if we understand rationality. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's right. And, and uh, there is a sense in which even uh, artists, even the most creative artists, set themselves goals and, and um, use their rational faculties to uh, attain those goals. And sometimes the goal is expand the boundaries of, of, of uh, the, the current genre of art to uh, uh, how do I come up with something that people will still recognize as art, but different from what they're used to. And that boundary can change, and then people, very smart people, can try to figure out how to change it. Yeah. So again, I wonder, given the importance of rationality, and given the basic framework, like understanding logic, understanding probability, understanding your cognitive biases, understanding the effect of the groups around the groups around you have on you. Again, I wonder, other than active open-mindedness and maybe identifying the groups you're in and that you succumb to occasionally in your thinking. What are other ways to exercise my rationality muscle? Yeah. I would add also that getting eight hours of sleep, oddly, <laughs> will make you more rational. Well, that's true. And that is certainly just sheer, you know, have brain power, having a brain that works well. Uh, some, some of us are, are, are born uh, smarter than others, uh, but all of us can make ourselves smarter by, you know, 
nourishing ourselves well and exercising and getting a good night's sleep so that at least the brain is working at full capacity. That's not enough to guarantee rationality because you could apply your brain power to dubious goals, uh, you know, like just winning an argument regardless of whether you're right or not. <laughs> but I think the, you know, part of the answer is you should uh, cultivate uh, active open-mindedness as a, as a uh, virtue. And you know, none of us are, are perfect, none of us are angels, but we do try to become better. And that's one of the ways in which we can try to become better. Number two, we should learn, be, become aware of the tools of rationality that have been uh, invented over the centuries. And that, that's you know, what I try to, to do in a, uh, a, a gentle way in rationality. I have chapters on, on tools of thinking like logic and probability and uh, correlation and causation and rational choice theory. And the third is that we should implement rules in our communities of discourse, of, of, of uh, our, our workplace, our uh, journalistic institutions, in academia, in our clubs, in our debates, where the, the rules uh, reward virtues like supporting arguments with evidence, not, not uh, appealing to authority, not insulting someone as a way of, uh, of, of refuting their arguments and so on. They should be uh, a kind of part of our everyday uh, etiquette uh, in the same way that uh, we no longer make uh, ethnic jokes or, or, or gay jokes the way people did when I was a kid. We don't smoke in, 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 uh, in, in public uh, enclosed spaces and, uh, as we used to, so just sort of norms and etiquette can change. Uh, and, and whenever we join a, an actual institution, like a university, like a newspaper, uh, like a, um, a, a, a parliament, then uh, those rules should be implemented that uh, you can't just shut someone down, you can't just um, uh, shut them up, uh, you are responsible for supporting your arguments with evidence, and so on. You know, you mentioned probability and logic, and uh, these things aren't really taught in grade school, let's say first through 12th grade. Instead, we learn in math, at least in trigonometry, goes into, you know, algebra goes into geometry, trigonometry, calculus one, calculus two, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you think, like it seems like all through school, even much of college, we're just absorbing information instead of discovering new things. So like, why don't you think statistics or probability are taught or more philosophical ways of thinking as opposed to specific ways of thinking? It's, it's a really good question. And uh, it's actually been decades since scientists and scientific thinkers have called for probability to be a part of the curriculum. H.G. Wells made that argument back in the 1940s. And uh, you really can't defend, if, if there are only so many hours in the school day, the idea of teaching trigonometry instead of probability is just insane. Uh, I have nothing against trigonometry. I've used trigonometry in my work and in my life. Uh, all things being equal, it's better to know trigonometry than not know trigonometry. But on the other hand, you can't know everything. And if you're going to prioritize knowledge, as you must, then one should have arguments as to what is more fundamental. And certainly, probability, critical thinking, logic, even spotting cognitive fallacies to avoid them seems to be pretty foundational in the sense that lots of other things depend on it. Just as, you know, why do you teach reading and writing? Well, uh, it's kind of obvious why that's one of the first things you teach. Namely, without those, you can't learn anything else. Uh, and the same argument can be made for some of the tools of critical thinking. That is, you can't really understand 
history or politics or economics without some sense of, of uh, probability, which includes, as all education should include, should not just be um, showing people the right way to do things and, and giving them tools, but also why they need them. Namely, left to your own devices, here are some fallacies that you're going to slip into. This uh, little trick, this little formula, is a way that you can climb out of that, uh, that, 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 that limitation, that fallacy, that bias. I mean, it's always better to know why you need something, such as what kind of blunders will you make if you don't have it. So given that in, in our society, we, you know, there's a lot of intelligent people, you're, you're, you know, you've written all these amazing books. I think it was in 2004, you were listed in the Time Magazine, had you the one of the 100 most influential people around, which, by the way, I love these lists, even if they don't mean much, but what, <laughs> right. how, what did you think when, you were, when they called you and said, you're one of the 100 most influential people on the planet? What did you oh, think I to was, yourself? I, I mean, I was, you know, I, 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 I'm human. I was delighted. It was a nice, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of nice, not, a lot of not so nice things happen to each of us every day. So I certainly savor the uh, rare moments when something good happens. So let's say you were transported to the year 912 AD in England. So that everyone's speaking rough English. You could roughly understand people. How would you? avoid getting killed? Like what value would you bring given <laughs> all of your knowledge and intelligence and everything you've done? What, what would you do to help out society and to survive? Cause first people would be skeptical of you. What would you do if you were just suddenly teleported to 912 AD? I mean, just as a, as a practical matter, just thinking, Oh my yeah. God, here I am in the middle ages. I, I got to deal yeah. with it. What am I? Prove you yourself. Know, prove yourself. I, you know, uh, they, uh, well, 912 AD, my God. Uh, so you can't predict yeah. the future because I have no idea what happened in like 915 AD or anything like right, that. Right, right, right. You know, I, I, I suspect I might have gravitated toward, toward the church just because that's where the illiterate people ended up. Uh, hmm. That's a good, the, no one's given that answer. Yeah, right. Uh, not that I, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, an atheist. I don't believe in, you know, God or, or in following religious dogma. But uh, given the world... You know, what will be the opportunities for someone who likes to think, someone who likes to read? Back then, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities. There weren't a whole lot of universities, if any. Probably not. I think the first one in Bologna came even later than the 10th century. So to make do, well, there were, I mean, there certainly were philosophical thinkers, and they weren't, I guess they weren't all associated with churches. I would look for a niche of... Uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't know how you, you, can, you can make a living as a, as a thinker back in the 10th century. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you can or if you have to just be like a knight or something, but uh, or you have to know how to make shoes. But yeah. but anyway, uh, Stephen Pinker, I really enjoyed the book. I'm going to read the, the title again. I like the subtitle as well. Rationality, what it is, why it seems scarce, and why it matters. And it definitely matters. We've seen it most of all... Uh, well, again, I say this past year, but probably every year they say this past year was the most important year ever. So probably <laughs> rationality has always been as important as it was this past year. I really do agree that reading this could help you understand how to face the issues in your life a lot better. Just thinking rationally, being more open-minded, understanding all the concepts you talk about and, and you present in a very step-by-step -step fashion. I think someone should make almost a rationality workbook. Like I love the puzzles you have almost throughout the book, but particularly in the beginning where, you know, many majority of people don't really get these answers right for various reasons. And you could get deeper and deeper. Like you could almost make a workbook where 
you have very pivotal issues and encourage people to write strong arguments on both sides and not just logic puzzles or probability puzzles or game theory puzzles, but then some of these more difficult, active open-mindedness puzzles to exercise the rationality muscle. But anyway, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I love all your books. People should not only read this one, please read The Better Angels of Our Nature. Read all your books, but The Better Angels of Our Nature, Enlightenment Now, these are such important books to read, to understand society and, and history in general. And uh, once again, uh, Stephen, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.